you are listening to the Spiritual Warrior Coach with Barbara Sabin, the podcast for discovering how powerful your wisdom, compassion, and courage is. Get ready to join Barbara and her guests as they explore and offer you advice on how to reclaim your power, your energy, and your authentic self. And now, here's the host of the show, Barbara Sabin. Well, thank you for joining me today, and welcome to the Spiritual Warrior Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Barbara Sabin, and I am here to help you reclaim your energy, your power, and your authentic self. I am a certified clinical and medical hypnotherapist, Reiki master, and teacher energy healing specialist, life coach, and best-selling author of Gentle Energy Touch, a beginner's guide to hands-on healing. You know, I have been helping my clients for over 35 years, and the older I get, hmm, the more wisdom seems to come through. So isn't it time that you believe in yourself? Your mind is going to provide you with your greatest challenges in life because it's so very, very powerful. So let's use that mind for positive thinking, creating harmony, balance, peace, love, happiness, and anything else that your heart desires, because one day the world will tap you on your shoulder and say, this is your time to shine. And speaking about shining and a very special guest today, I'm going to bring her on right now. Hi, Barbara. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you, Barbara? Good, good. Doing just good this um, this week. You know, uh, as I, we mentioned, you know, I had parathyroid surgery three weeks ago. So uh, it's all healed, a little scar here, but we're getting back to normal. And that's all that matters. Yes. <laughs> that. Yeah, Let me introduce you. You know, uh, Barbara Legier, she's the author of Kevin's Choice, A Mother's Journey Through Her Son's Mental Illness, Addiction and Suicide. And Barbara has dedicated her life to fighting stigma against mental illness, substance abuse, and suicide, as well as talking about grieving after losing a child. And she writes about chemical dependency, depression, and anxiety. So, you know, welcome, Barbara. And, you know, I, I just have to tell you, I'm so sorry, you know, for your loss. And I, I cannot imagine what you've been through. Uh, losing a child, you know, to, to this. It's horrible. Um, Thank you. It's definitely one of those things you can't imagine unless you've experienced it. And I hope no one else ever does. I know they will, but it is a tough one. It's a tough one. I know uh, just for, for me, not personally, but I have two neighbors that actually lost uh, a niece to drug abuse and my attached neighbor actually lost his son to you know overdose and it's it's horrible um it's 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 an epidemic and it's happening more than ever i mean there's thousands and thousands of people that have lost a loved one and it just keeps getting worse because of fentanyl well, that's it. And, and, you know, they think they're taking something just to give them a little high and it ends up unfortunately killing them. Yes. It's sad it's part tragic. of it. It's so tragic, especially the young kids that maybe just don't understand what they're doing. I think more people should know now it's in the public a lot, but I've, I've known people who 
said their child was just trying something for the first time and now they're not here. So no, they're not here. So did, uh, well, number one, what age did your son pass away? But did he always have this problem? Um, he passed away at age 29. He was four months away from 30. And he had always told me he wanted to have his life together by the time he was 30. So I always wonder if that had something to do with the, the timing. But um, he struggled with depression and anxiety since a really early age. Mm. Um, I, I recognized it when he was in fourth grade. His teacher also recognized it. And that's when he began having therapy for the first time and um, trying medications and different things. And then he, he was better for many years um, until high school. And that's when he discovered heroin was when he was um, 17 years old. So he used for from the age 17 to 29. And that was his reason that he told me he took his life. That morning, he told me, Mom, I'll never be able to stop doing drugs. And he was crying. And uh, 20 minutes later, he was gone. Oh, wow. So you knew he was going to do this? Or, I didn't know. Didn't but know. Um, okay. I, you know, he had talked about it for years. I, I share that in the book. My first chapter is about how he told me he was going to take his own life. And he had tried with drugs many times, but it never worked. And um, so he chose to use a gun this time. Oh, you know, it only takes that one time. And, 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 and it, you, you wonder, you know, how these other kids in high school get this. But I guess it's probably just easy, you know, on the street. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's very easy. And um, I, I, I try to help people understand what addiction is like, especially to heroin. It's something that controls your, your life. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can be a wonderful human being, loving, giving, kind. And once it grabs hold of you, you live for that. You live to get your next high or to get well because you get sick every day if you don't have it. Yeah, I know that's what happened to my my neighbor's uh, her niece and and his son. Same scenario. They'd get off of it. They would try very hard, and then they, they were right back onto it. Um, and then again, it was like a, a constant battle with it. And then unfortunately, it, it ended. Yeah, that just happens to so many families. I belong to a support group for people who have lost their child to drugs and there's 200 members. Um, wow. There's, and that's just our little local area. So. It's, it's every, unfortunately it's everywhere. And it is. Um, so let me ask you, so in high school, why do you think he, he became depressed? Was it peer pressure or? I think he always had it in him. I have depression my whole life okay. and I've taken um, antidepressants since I was in my thirties. When I first started taking them, I realized, oh, wow, I don't have to feel this way. I mean, it was like night and day for me. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that my depression was clinical, that it, I needed medication. I just thought everybody felt that way. Oh, okay. And so when that lifted, now I just get depressed when I have a reason to, but not an everyday thing. And, and that's how it was for Kevin. He, um, 
he was very anxious and nervous about things. I mean, he had friends and he was well-liked, but he just had this inner anxiety and depression. And when he took heroin the first time, he felt great. He felt better than he'd ever felt in his life. He thought he'd found the miracle drug that would you know, save him. Mm-hmm. And it ended up destroying him. Destroying him. That's usually the case. Yeah. So now is there a difference between like, like you said, you have clinical um, depression? Um, like, are there different types of depression? There are different types. There's like major depressed. There's all different types. But when I say clinical, I mean, it's the type that is a brain chemical thing. Okay. It's not just an experiential thing. Like, you know, obviously if you lose someone or lose a job or have a bad day, you might be depressed. Mm-hmm. But this was just like a general depression that kind of like a black cloud hanging over you at all times. Mm. That's how I describe it. And his friends, did his friends know about it and try to get him out of it? You know, that, that type of depression? Um, they, they did their best, but they were young too. And um, when he started using drugs, he changed so much. He lost his really good friends. I mean, they still cared about him, but they didn't want to be around him anymore. He was a different person. Yeah. And, and then maybe they feared they would maybe try it or you just... You know, none of them, none of them did, luckily, but he tried it using it with three friends and um, two of them tried to talk him out of it. And the third one said, come on, just, just do it. Just try it. And so he listened to her and that was that. Is she still alive? Do you know, or no, she's not, she's not alive. Wow. Two out of the three friends are, are gone now. Wow, what a shame. What a, you know, it's, it, it really makes you wonder, you know, why, but then there's no reason why I think it just, it just is, they just try it just to see how they feel, I think. Exactly. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, they're curious. And at that age, we all think, oh, nothing's going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. And I experienced with drugs when I was in high school, but they weren't heroin, yeah. You know, they weren't highly addictive, dangerous, life-threatening drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know my, well, I never did anything, actually, believe it or not, in high school, I was too afraid. Uh, but then after I, um, we got married, um, and he was in the service, so he'd be away on the weekends a lot, um, my neighbor would, would actually smoke marijuana. And so every now and then I, I would do that. But then I realized, I, this is not, it's not good. And so I, I knew I knew better to stop it. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, I think it would have definitely been very addictive. Oh, yeah, it can be for sure. Oh, yeah. I think uh, any type of drug like that, because it's yeah. a feel good. Yeah. And I don't like not being in control of myself. If I drink too much, I'm not in control of myself. So I don't drink. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not. A, I, I don't drink. I actually have not drank for about 30 years. Uh, and that's again, so that I'm in control of me and, and I do not like how I feel when, when I have a, a, a glass of wine or something. Same here. Same yeah. Here. And I, there's nothing wrong with it. There's oh no. nothing wrong with it, but for people that can't stop, it becomes a problem. It's a problem. Yeah. So do you think with your son, he ended his life because he just, 
he just couldn't take it anymore? Yes, I think he was suffering so much. He was, it was like he was tortured. Seeing him those last few weeks, he lived with me. Um, he could barely function. He was just so depressed and hopeless. He just felt hopeless. He knew he had to stop using drugs or he would end up on the streets in jail. You know, he had to stop, but he couldn't. He, couldn't. he tried so many times. And I think that it, he just gave up the depression mixed with the inability to stop using drugs just got to him. You know, it's a shame when that happens because I, I, I know my neighbor, the son, he did try. He really tried, but then it just doesn't happen. And, and they could be fine for like maybe a, a few days or a week or two weeks. And then it, it, they end up going right back to it, yeah. which is sad. It um, is. And a lot of times when they go back to it, their tolerance level has lowered. Mm -hmm. And so they take the same amount of, and it kills them because yeah. it's way too much. It's way too much. Kevin was, you know, using tons of heroin and actually he, he switched to just using fentanyl at the end because it was so much stronger. I couldn't believe it when I saw his, the toxicology report. It was tons of fentanyl in his system. And I know that's not what took his life. Right. And they say like a, a little, little amount of that actually causes yeah. you, you know, death. That's how high his tolerance had gotten. Wow. So, so he, he lived in, in with you in, in the house? Yes, he did. So yeah. Did he work or he wasn't able to? to um, he had one job in his life. That's all. Okay. And he wasn't able to work. He did spend time in and out of jail. He spent 16 months in prison. That really, really messed him up. Um, but yeah, he lived with me. I had tried different things to help him. Well, I think I tried everything I could possibly think of. Mm -hmm. And having him at home was what I wanted. I just wanted to be there to love him, encourage him. Mm -hmm. and just love him where he was can i ask you how what how what landed him in jail um drug possession drug possession drug yeah, possession and then um the prison was different he he also used meth sometimes and meth can affect your brain so that you can go into psychosis mm -hmm. which is what happened to him and he thought he saw some bad guys in our backyard and um, called the police. He told him he shot these guys and they were all dead in our backyard. And so you can imagine the SWAT, oh. SWAT team, everyone was at my house. I can imagine. And that's what landed him in prison. Oh my. So now the 16 months in prison, did he not, he was not using, right? Or not in the beginning, but towards the end, he was using in prison. It's not at all uncommon. So they still get it? Um, yes, I talk about that in the book too, because he, he, yeah, it comes in through the guards or sometimes people sneak it in. But I had to pay off some of his drug debts because I was so much in fear of what they would do to him. Um, I even asked a police officer, well, what should I do? And he said, if it was my son, I would pay the drug debt. Oh, wow. So I did. 
you know, I paid someone out here mm-hmm. for the drugs that he ended up using in there. So it was horrible. He was scared to death the whole time he was in there. I mean, he wouldn't admit that, but you know, he saw things, people did things to him, made him do things. It was just a nightmare. Oh, I can imagine. Well, I cannot imagine, but I know prison is, is really bad. Yeah. I mean, really bad. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you, and no matter what you do wrong, you, you do not want to be there for at least an overnight or a few nights. It's not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all this that you've been through is this is what actually prompted you to write your book, you know? Um, yes. Yes. After I lost him, I mean, the first three months, I was just unable to even function. Really. I was just so, I mean, it was the bottom. I just felt like I couldn't even go on, but the whole time in the back of my mind, I had this nagging sense that Kevin was saying, write the book we talked about, write the book. Cause we always talked about writing a book oh, together okay. about his success and how he overcame. Um, but that didn't happen. So I decided, okay, I'm going to write his story in a way that will help other people and get the message across about mental illness, addiction, um, suicide. And I share a lot about my opinions on um, tough love, um, some of the theories that we have behind recovery. And I just, I interviewed a lot of people, have a lot of good info in there, but um, it was therapeutic in a way because I was, it took so much of my mind, my energy and my time that I wasn't lost in grief. I could actually function and the grief never goes away. I I miss him more because there's been more time passed. I mean, now I miss him twice as much because it's been twice as long, but um, yeah, the book, I, I just, I felt a passion like, okay, the worst possible thing has happened to me. What am I gonna do for the rest of my life? I'm single, I don't have any other children. I'm gonna go out there and try and help somebody else understand what's going on and hopefully prevent it from happening to them or their family. Wow. So how, how long did it take you to actually write, write all this? Um, a year and two months. So 14 months. 14 months. Yeah. And um, I belong to a writing group and that really made a huge difference for me because we wrote together five days a week. Oh, you did. Okay. So via Zoom, via Zoom, this mm-hmm. COVID, but yeah, I so still go every day. On track. Yeah. To write because sometimes writing is, I know for myself, cause I'm an author, writing is, is challenging. Yes, it's, it can be. Yeah. Very challenging. So, all right. So you've written this book and, um, are you like coaching other people or, um, I would like to, I mean, I'm, I'm available to anyone who ever wants to talk to me. They can reach me on my, uh, through my website. Um, I have a blog and a newsletter, but I'm, I'm just available. I'm trying to speak at different places and basically just share the message. 
Yeah, it's uh, I'm not formally I'm not formally a coach or anything like that, but I am absolutely willing to talk to anyone who wants to reach out to me. Well, many times because you have all this life real experience that is that in itself is so much more than just speaking to someone that can just, you know, maybe just verbally say something whereas you, you know, you've been through this. Um yeah. which is, you know, it's horrible. Um you know, I know that you mentioned in your book um, that the three most dangerous words a parent can say is not my child or not my kid. You yeah. know, can you expand on that? Because I know a lot of people say, well, my kid's not going to do that. Or Absolutely. Yeah. And I think most of us think that. And mm -hmm. you raise your child in a, with love and you, you know, give them experiences and teach them right from wrong and they're happy and everything's going fine. So you think my child will never try drugs mm -hmm. or my child will never do this dangerous thing. But a lot of them do. I mean, the parents I know that have lost their children, they had wonderful, wonderful families that love them. They were in sports, they were happy. And until they started using heroin, they were fine. So it is very dangerous. I've had people say things to me like, well, I raised my kids, right? Like, you know, I did it right and you did it wrong, but no. it's, you can't, it's not the parent's fault. That's another one of my messages. The parents should never feel guilty or if it's their fault because it's not, it really isn't. I've heard that from so many people that struggle with addiction that they do not blame their parents. Now, is there like a way a, a parent would know that the child is doing this? Um, yeah, there's lots of ways, but heroin is unique because you can kind of hide it easier than like meth or marijuana even oh. because you don't get the red eyes, you get the glossy eyes. That's a sign. But let's say you do heroin an hour later, you might look normal oh. and your parents wouldn't know, you know, one sign is nodding off. If you see your child kind of like trying not to fall asleep, they call that nodding off. And that is a big sign that there's something wrong. Um, finding something in your child's room that doesn't belong there, like tinfoil or a straw, or even worse, a syringe, obviously oh, yeah. that would be a big red flag. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm, I don't know anything about this. So what does the tin? Um, they use the aluminum foil to burn if they want to smoke it rather than inject it. Kevin did both. Mostly he oh, injected, okay. but they burn it and then they use the straw to suck up the smoke. So if you find a piece of uh, aluminum foil with a black line through it, that is what it means. They have oh. used that to to smoke heroin off of. Oh, I, you know, I never knew yeah. that. Yeah, a lot of people wonder, why are there black smudges all over my house? That's why. <laughs> the finger, oh. you, it's hard to get off your fingers and you might see little black smudges here and there. That would be another sign to a parent. So, yeah, I, yeah, I know the syringe. Fingers. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, the syringe and yeah, the, the, the hands. And of course, if they have needle marks, but I never knew about the tin uh, yeah. and that. Um, is there any other thing, signs that a parent could look for? You know, I mean, when they take heroin, are they like spaced out or? 
Um, um, yeah, they're it more looks like they're tired or they're going to go to sleep. Um, a lot of people function with a full time job. They oh. they use before their shift starts. They use at lunch. They use at the end of the day, and it just keeps them level. So it's very tricky. Um, but someone who first starts using, especially a teenager, there's usually a change in friends, which you know all parents are aware that if your child suddenly has an entirely new group of friends, that's something to look out for. I didn't see that sign because his new friends were in college and they had jobs. So mm. I thought they're fine. You know, it never even occurred to me. Um, let's see what other signs. I think those are the the big signs. Just that they're something about their personality has changed. They're not as friendly and they're not speaking out as much. They're just kind of withdrawn. I'd say oh. that's another sign. Withdrawn, like keep to themselves or yes. in room? Yes. Like Kevin would spend a lot of time alone in his room. Oh, interesting. Um, and, and none of his friends would even say that he was on doing this. No, I found, I eventually found out he actually told me and, um, you know, immediately got him into rehab and started that. He, he went to, I think, I lost track, but I'd say around 14 different rehabs. Wow. Um, so many people go to multiple rehabs and it's not the first time he went, I thought, oh, this is it, you know, he's in rehab, he'll be here 90 mm -hmm. days, and when he gets out, that whole chapter of our life is over. That's how naive I was. It doesn't work that way. Um, it, it really, some people it does, but it's pretty rare for someone to just go one time. They usually have to go multiple times. Why do you think sometimes it doesn't work? I think it works for a while, um, and then they go back to the their old ways, or while they're in there, they don't really want to be there. They're not invested in it. They're going because someone made them go, either the court, their parents, their spouse. Oh, okay. um, you know, Kevin was always wanted to succeed in rehab. He always wanted to get through the program and start his life. But for him, he just, just he could not say no. And usually he got out and within weeks to a month, sometimes even the same exact day. Oh, you start using again. Start using again. Yeah. Oh, what a shame. Um, so it, it basically it was because he was depressed. Yeah, for him, that's what it was. What it was. Another really common way that young people start using, and adults too, but I know more young people that have passed. That's why I talk about them the mm -hmm. most, um, is a sports injury. I can't tell you how many families I know mm -hmm. that had a child injured in football, soccer, whatever the sport may be, and had to go to the hospital and were given um, Vicodin or Oxycontin when that was popular. Uh -huh. And that's what started their addiction. It was all about the pills. Mm -hmm. And they used pills up to the point where they couldn't get them anymore. And someone said, well, heroin's so much cheaper and so much easier to get. And it does the same thing. Mm -hmm. So they say, oh, okay, I'll, I'll switch to that. And that's what happens really often. I, I you know, I, I can I truly understand that 
because this, you know, as, as I mentioned again, the parathyroid surgery, um, I was given the option of, I think it was Octocosin or one of them. And uh, I know because of my clients and everyone that it can become habit, you know, addictive. And yeah. so I, I, I said, absolutely not. I'd rather take a Motrin or Tylenol. And I, the, there was a little bit of a surprise look on their face when I mentioned that. Uh, because I, I know, you know, it is a feel good type of feeling. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it wears off and you say, gee, you know, all right, the pain may be there. But then now you're looking again for that feel good feeling. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I looked and said, not me. I, I, you know, and I'm going to be 74 years old, September. And I swear to you, I've never, ever, you know, reached into any of that. Uh, because again, oh, I know what it can do because yeah. it, it's all around us, you know, all that. Good for you. And doctors need to hear that too, because mm -hmm. they just hand things out. So when someone's saying no, it hopefully will make them stop and think, well, maybe I could just get away with giving her this. Yeah. Or, you know, emotion. And obviously or... you're fine. You, you survived it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a little foggy. <laughs> I apologize at the beginning, but. Oh, I've yeah, been I foggy mean... <laughs> for years. Ever since I lost Kevin, I've been foggy. Well, yeah. I mean, it always takes something to, you know, and this is my first podcast again, you know, coming back. So, um, but yeah, I, uh, but I, I, I feel that like I have a strong mind. Do you, do you feel that they, they really needed a, he may have needed a stronger mind or it, it just was? You know, that's a really good question. And I can only speak for him from what I know of him. So this doesn't apply to anybody else, but, mm -hmm. um, uh, Kevin was extremely intelligent. I mean, he was off the charts intelligent, but he had very little self-confidence, self-worth. Okay. And in that way, he was more of a follower. And I think that's what got him started. Got it. And it just played into it. Okay, now I'm using drugs. I'm an even worse person than I was before. And year after year and a year, it just drained him and just made him lose all hope. Well, yeah, and it definitely does a number on their confidence and self-esteem. And yes. Oh, yeah. He felt horrible. Horrible. And that's one reason fighting the stigma against mental illness and addiction is so important because society makes them feel horrible. I can't tell you how many TV shows I've been watching and the word junkie comes up and it's like, oh yeah, that junkie. And they refer to people like they're not even people. Exactly. You know, exactly. they look down upon them and, you know, we have an entire homeless population that's either addicted to drugs, mentally ill, not all of them, but a large majority of them. And it's very sad. Yeah, I don't think our government is doing enough you know, I, where, where do you live? I live in California, oh. Southern California. Okay. I'm in Southern California also. So yeah, I truly understand everywhere you go. Yeah. It's, it's everywhere, the homeless. And you wonder why aren't, why isn't something being done about this? Yeah. I sure don't know what the answers are. I know that from experiencing um, one job I had, I had to interact with homeless people almost every day. And a lot of them didn't want to, 
to get off the streets. They mm-hmm. were mentally ill and they thought this is the life I want. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, how do you help someone like that? Um, no, no. It, and I feel there's not very enough. Complicated. It, it is. And there's not enough uh, institutions or something. I, I, I feel, and not just California, I'm sure it's everywhere. Yeah. But uh, I know it's, it's basically more here than anywhere else. Uh, yeah. And why the great weather, helping? the great weather brings them to California. I, I know. I Good mean, place to be homeless. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to worry about freezing. So yeah. when it doesn't hardly rain and there's no snow. So, uh, but yeah, you wonder why there's not more being done to take these people off the street and all this, you know, heroin and fentanyl and everything that is on the streets that it's so easily accessible. I don't know. I don't know why it continues to go on because it all comes from somewhere else. I mean, it mm-hmm. comes over the border from China yeah. or Mexico and it just keeps coming and coming. And I don't know, it just seems like that would be the solution to me is to make it inaccessible. But since obviously that hasn't worked, no. we just have to inform people, especially now with the fentanyl. I mean. I can't even tell you how many people in this Facebook group I belong mm-hmm. to every day, there's one or two new people joining. It's just heartbreaking. You mean people that have lost, love that have lost a child. He's lost a child. Yeah. And they show their pictures and your heart just breaks. And it's just so sad. It, it, I mean, I know when my neighbors lost, I, I was heartbroken and and I could not even hold back my own tears. So, you know, and I felt for them. So it, it's, it's the feeling is you, you cannot ex- express how it feels. Yeah. It, it's probably the most horrible, horrific feeling ever to know that, you know, especially, you know, the, I mean, it, with any, I mean, even if you have five children, you know, losing a child, but to have Absolutely. the one, yeah. Absolutely. I have a, uh, family that has lost they have six children they lost one and people think well you have five more children it's yeah. like I just want to punch those people yeah how can you think that so, now let me ask you do you think you know tough love could be helpful to them or is or is actually harmful I'm very against tough love. Okay. I tried it and I write, I have a whole chapter in my book about that. Um, Tough love in a lot of people's mind is kicking someone out of the house. That's kind of the big thing. Don't let them live with you. Don't enable them. Don't give them money. Don't do anything. Just leave them on their own. I know when I did that with Kevin, it made things 10 times worse. And I was in fear of losing him much more than when he was living under my roof. I think they need love. They need acceptance. They need someone to say, you can do this and, you know, to provide for them so that they don't have to steal and break the law just to get food and their drugs and whatever else they need. Um, You know, Kevin had many ways of, of finding drugs. That wasn't a problem. It was so easy to find it and even to pay for it. But um, in my, my personal heart, I, could not, I had to follow my gut and my mother's instincts and not do tough love. Not I think a lot more people are seeing that now um, because letting someone on heroin 
hit bottom could be death. Yeah. You know, how low do you want them to go? It's just, I didn't want him to experience that. So did, did, do you feel that he, I mean, even though he, he, you know, he died from the drugs, did he understand that what you were trying to do for him? Oh yes. He, he understood. We were so close and he knew how much I loved him and he loved me and he thanked me all the time. And he said things like, wow, you know, I wish, I wish my friends had a mom like you because they feel so abandoned. And um, yeah, he knew. He knew. We were very close. Mm. And I don't, uh, you know, some parents do have to remove their child from the home. I'm not saying that mm-hmm. that's not, you know, something anyone should, well, see, now I, I messed up. What I'm saying is mm-hmm. sometimes you have to remove your child from the home. If it's affecting other siblings, mm-hmm. if they're being violent, you know, it has to be done. With Kevin, that wasn't an issue. There were no siblings. He was never violent. So I, I kept him with me. I wanted to be there. I mean, he talked about suicide for so many years. I kind of accepted that it was a possibility and I wanted to be there if it ever happened. That's just my personal feeling. I just, I wanted to be there. Did he pass away in the home? In your Yes. Oh, he did. Yes. We were talking in the morning and um, that's when he told me I, I can't stop doing drugs and about 20 minutes later, I was sitting at the kitchen table and I heard a gunshot and I knew. Oh, God. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oof. Thank you. And I, I knew, you know, in that moment, your whole life changes. I'm a completely different person. I never would have spoken on a podcast before. I, I'd be too shy. But um, now I'm very outspoken and I, you know, the worst things already happened to me. What more possible could happen I, I'm not afraid of anything anymore I'm I'm not afraid of making a fool of myself I'm not afraid of dying I'm not you know it's just those things are so trivial the only thing that matters to me is getting the word out there and hopefully preventing this from happening to more families now um do, do you I, I know you have a, a Facebook group mm-hmm and do people come on it before the, the child or, or someone they know, you know? Um, yes, the, the support group I belong to mm-hmm. is, we meet in person here locally, but the Facebook page is open to anyone who has a child, or not just a child, a loved one mm-hmm. who's struggling with drugs or who has lost someone to an overdose. And it's called Solace for Hope. And it's a nonprofit organization. And it's a private group. So whatever you say there is personal. It stays between the group, but you can check it out or you can email me and I can direct you there, but it's solace for hope. Oh, okay. And it's, it saved me. I mean, I started going when I lost Anthony, uh, who was like a son to me. So I'd already been going for six years when I lost Kevin. And I don't know how I would have gotten through this far without that group because they're they know you want to be around people that know that understand understand so you know what what do you think uh, you know as a society we can do to help with these issues 
you know, I know the support group is very important. Mm-hmm. Also your book that people need to read, especially if they have someone that's, you know, addicted. Yeah, I think mental illness is huge because that is, a, it's so often combined with um, addiction. We need to do more. We need to make help available to more people. We need to stop the stigma so people aren't ashamed or afraid to ask for help. We need to shut the drugs down from coming across our border Mm -hmm. and educate our children from a really young age because now you can't even take one pill. You can't try anything. You cannot try anything. It could be a marijuana, cocaine, a pill. It could be in anything. And um, I, I don't know, as a society, I wish we could all just be a little kinder to one another and more compassionate and empathetic. I know that's that's really the key is is more understanding and and to feel for them and, and try to help them instead of throwing them out on the street and things yeah. like that. Yeah, or judging them as being a loser or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it happens to all kinds of people, and they are not losers. They are they are just like we are, but they have a different problem than we have. We all have issues. Oh, we all have issues without a <laughs> doubt. And I and I know people that I know that have passed away from addiction had high functioning jobs. I mean, were mm-hmm. either CEOs or I mean, th- these people oh, have yeah. education and something just goes wrong. Exactly. And same with alcohol. A lot of people have a problem with alcohol, but they can function in society and no one knows. Mm-hmm. And yet they're so unhappy. And and unfortunately, you know, when you turn the television on, you see the beer uh, commercials and vodka commercials and, and you wonder, is it that they really want to uh, have an addictive society? I, yeah, that's crossed my mind too. What would happen if they stopped all that? Mm -hmm. Would all the, would the younger people get the idea out of their head that, oh, we have to have alcohol to have fun because that's what they're portraying on TV. And it's always every TV show too. people come Mm -hmm. home from work. And what do they do? They pour a drink. They pour a drink. It's always on TV. I always wonder how did these people drink so much? Right. You you know, know? it's funny because I've noticed that lately it's more so they, they, you know, they're, they're drinking wine. Yeah. And I'm saying to myself, wow, what, what, what is the message here? Yeah, I know. And, and it, it is fine to drink wine if you want to, but it's just not a necessary thing to have a good time. Well, I, I, I know that because I'm, again, you know, I am not a drinker and um, don't get me wrong in my early years, I was, but then uh, I, I knew it was not, I said, this is not what I want because I, I felt I felt weird afterwards. And, and then of course the migraine and the, you know, the horrible feeling. And I wonder why people just go back and continue to do it, you know? Well, it's an, it's an addiction addiction. and they need it, you know, I mean, you need it to make yourself feel normal. Well, that's, I see your, your baby back there. You're, uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, there's one on the floor right oh. here. And I tried to shut them out, but then they were banging on the door and I didn't want that. No, so, it's okay. You yeah, know. I have three of them in the room. One of them's being noisy. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Yeah. So you have you have three dogs or yes. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they are my lifesavers too. My two little dogs. Two of them are mine. One's my sister's, but that's who I give all my love to now. My baby talk and I baby pups, yeah. You know, affection. So well, that's it. Now, do you feel that, you know, I know this is a little offbeat question that, you know, I know your son had all this affection in the world from you. Do you think that some kids don't have that? And that's why they they look to to use? Mm. Uh, that could be a possibility for some people, yeah. Um, Anthony, that I mentioned him earlier, he, he had lost his mother to um, addiction when he was 14, and his dad was in and out of prison. So wow. he didn't have a lot of affection. He had grandparents that loved him, but he felt completely abandoned by his parents. And that's, you know, when you get in that group with your drug friends, they aren't real friends, no. obviously, mm -hmm. but they stick together and you feel like you're part of something. You have all these people that have the same focus in life. And I know that was a big part for Kevin too. It's like, oh, look at all my new friends. They're not really friends if you just do drugs with them. But that's it. That's all that they're there for, you know, to either bring it in for you, make money or, you know, or get high together. Yes, yes. So now your book, is, is that, is it actually out now? Yeah, I'll show you a picture. I have one right here. I don't know if you can oh, Kevin's see that. Yes, I do. Backwards, <clears throat> yeah, it's called Kevin's Choice and it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble and Apple Books. And it just came out or? It, it came out in April. So it's oh, really new. In fact, I think now. tomorrow will be one month. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, what, I guess, what message do you want people to come away, you know, with after reading your book? I want them to come away seeing what it's like for the people that struggle so that they can have more empathy mm -hmm. and more understanding. And hopefully, um, if we all just do our part by being kind to one another, to, uh, to not judging each other. And if our government would wake up a little more and provide more help for mental illness mm -hmm. and for keeping drugs out of our country, that would be ideal. That would be ideal. It would be ideal. And I know our government probably can do that. But, you know, again, it's, it's about, I hate to say, but it is, it's about the money. And it's very sad. It's yeah, just, it, it's hard for me to comprehend because that's just so mm -hmm. far from normal to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also talk about grief and, you know, try to share a little bit about what not to say to a, a grieving person. I know people are well-meaning and we all say the same things because that's what we've heard. Know what to say, yeah. Yeah. And it's just, <clears throat> sometimes it can be hurtful. I think most People I know that are grieving the loss of a child just want to hear, you know, questions. Well, how, you know, tell me about your son or I can't even think of any right now, but 
you know, checking in on you, doing things for you without really asking, like just bringing you a dinner right. or just asking you to coffee. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's just hurtful to be expected to get over it. Um, oh, aren't you over it yet? Or it's been three months. It's like, no, you never, never get over mm-hmm. it. You never get over it. And I have good days and bad. Mm-hmm. I My nights are usually when I cry and get upset and the day I'm usually okay because I have so many things to do. But um, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of messages in my book. I, I wrote it from my heart. It's just from my heart. I'm not making money on it. It's just my passion thrown out on paper. Now my dogs are really. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. I see them back there. <laughs> it's good. They're adorable. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah, I know. The worst thing you can say, how are you feeling? You know, or how are you doing? You know, they're feeling horrible. They're not doing good. Um yeah. So yeah, as you mentioned, bringing them dinner or just uh, taking them out for coffee or doing something without asking those words. Um, My very favorite thing is um, if they want, I want to talk about Kevin. Mm-hmm. People think, you know, oh, if I bring him up, she'll, she'll get sad. Well, I'm already sad. I want to talk about him. And if someone says, oh, share a memory, what's one of your favorite memories? I could go on and on and on. Um, my other favorite thing is when his friends get in touch with me and say, oh, remember the time Kevin did this or, or even better yet, they tell me stories that I haven't even heard before, like funny things from his childhood. Mm-hmm. And, um, or they send me pictures that they find on their phone that I didn't have. That's like the best gift in the world because you'll never get another picture, mm-hmm. but if somebody has one, they can give it to you. And it's, it's wonderful. So that do you keep in touch with some of his friends from? Yes, I do. So many of his friends are gone, though. The ones that I was very close to, most of them are gone. And uh, there's not a whole lot left. Um, His childhood friends, the ones that never did drugs, I keep in touch with them. And they Mm -hmm. like one's coming over next weekend to see his mom. So he's going to come see me, too. So, yeah, they're a huge help to me. Well, yeah, yeah, because then it's nice to go down memory lane and just to reminisce the yeah. those good days. Yeah. yeah, I just want to talk about the good times and have the good feelings and the memories of him laughing and things like that. Yeah, well, they say, you know, it's it's all those beautiful memories that get us out of our depression. Yeah, you know, it helps a lot. It helps. You know, it's, it's like losing, you know, when you lose anyone, whether it's a parent or a child or the spouse, even a pet, you know, it's thinking about all the good things that, yeah. that you have that changes your, your feeling for that day. Yeah, it really can. And just thinking, trying to think positive. I really work on that and it makes a huge difference. I tried to help Kevin understand that concept. Mm-hmm. And he just, it, it was hard for him to think positive even. Well, yeah, because when they're, you know, in that state and, yeah. and he here, he was trying to get out of it and he just, he just couldn't. Yeah. So, you know, the thing is for them not to, not to try it to begin with. Exactly. That is the most important thing of all is just to not start. Not start. And if parents have to really get that through to their kids. I talked to Kevin about it. 
it didn't help, but I highly recommend doing it because it does help in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you feel um, that some parents should drug test their children? Uh, yes. If they suspect it and their kid is under the age of 18, once they're 18, it's a lot harder. Um, but if they're under the age of 18 or if they're living under your roof, yeah, because mm -hmm. then you have proof. Although there are many ways to fake a drug test too. So oh. unless they're actually going in front of you. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kevin, he faked them all the time for his probation and parole officers. So Wow, I didn't know that you can, uh, I guess I'm a little naive there that you can well, fake. They know all these tricks. They know the they tricks. They know all the tricks. <laughs> So, all right, where, where can people, you know, find you again with your support group? Where can they email you? Uh, the name of the book again? Uh, um, I'm my website and email is both my my first and last name, Barbara Legere, L-E-G-E-R-E -E, at Gmail or Barbara Legere.com. Okay. And the book again is Kevin's Choice. Oh, and David Chef um, endorsed this book, which meant a lot to me. He's the author of Beautiful Boy. Uh -huh. So when he said he liked my book, I was like, okay, I did it. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea how it was going to come across. Was, yeah. That's that a pretty, was, it's a pretty thick book, I see. It's, yeah, well, you know what? There's pictures um, in it. There's pictures. Oh, you have pictures of your son? And there's poetry in the end that Kevin wrote. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. So it's, a a, it's about 200 pages long, if you're just counting the words. Oh, okay. So again, it, it, they can purchase it on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And what is the support group again that you belong to? Solace for Hope. Solace for hope. S O A L S O L A C E. Okay, for hope. Which it stands for, let's see if I get this right, because I don't say it very often. Solace for hope stands for support. Um, oh my gosh. Never mind. Support. It's support with compassion and empathy. Oh, support overdose loss compassion and empathy, empathy. s-o-l-a-c-e sorry about that oh no 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 it's okay <laughs> <laughs> that's the day i'm having today so <laughs> i hope it's not coming out on you <laughs> no i have it a lot that's another a symptom of grief they we mm -hmm. call it grief brain it's a real thing <laughs> Well, with your memory <laughs> i understand that because you know we just lost my my well, we, we had three dogs that passed away, but the oldest one just passed away and he was 19 and a half years old. Oh my gosh. And he passed away right before my surgery. Oh. And oh. I'm still, you know, uh, you just, it takes time. Oh yeah. And you know, the time sometimes is longer than you think. So, oh um, yeah. Yeah. But losing um, a dog is traumatic too. Oh, I mean, they are, there are babies. They're oh, with that so innocent. And we oh. had him when he was like three months old. So oh my you know, 19 God. and a half years, that's a long time. Was he a small dog? Because I yes. hear small dogs live longer. He was uh, like a, a, a schnauzer type of, and yeah, oh. he, he lived to, to that long. And his sister, she passed away when she was 16 and a half. You know, that's so that was long too. That's pretty yeah, long. Yeah. So I, you know, 
I'm still, I guess, grieving over him because usually he would be in in the room with me the way your babies are in the room with you. So, yeah, but uh, I'm going to take a little time out right now for for pets. Yeah. Until I go to a shelter and then they come home with me again. So, you know, but uh, all right. Uh, so one more time, where can people get a hold of you? BarbaraLegere.com mm-hmm. or BarbaraLegere at gmail.com. Gmail.com. Barbara, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Barbara. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for having me here. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and and discussing something that is very heartbreaking. So, thank um, you. and you know, time to an extent heals some wounds, but not all mm-hmm. the wounds. So, you know, yeah. I understand. It does help a little, but it mm-hmm. never goes away. No, we can't expect it to. No, no, that that it's all part of us being human. So. Exactly. But uh, again, thank you, Barbara, for being here. And, and please, everyone, you know, check out her book on Amazon, Kevin's Choice. And uh, thank you for listening today. Uh, and again, a big thank you to my guest, Barbara. And I hope that you heard what you needed to hear because uh, substance abuse, suicide, mental illness is very, very important. And we need to do more about it. And we need our government to, to stop these drugs and we need our government to take some of the homeless, you know, all the homeless off the streets. And uh, these drugs are killing our children and our loved ones. Um, so uh, again, a big thank you to my guest and, um, you know, visit me at uh, motivateyourlife.net and please subscribe to this YouTube channel, The Spiritual Warrior Coach. We are also on Spotify, Amazon, Apple, and we are international. Um, And for those of you that are maybe interested in learning energy healing, please check out my book on Amazon, Gentle Energy Touch, The Beginner's Guide to Hands-On Healing. Uh, So I, again, hope uh, you heard what you needed to hear and have a beautiful week filled with love and with light. Love, Barbara.